It's time for JT the Brick. Receiver from the University of Colorado, number 21, Cliff Branch. We kick off the summer of Cliff Branch. Tucker drops back to pass. Steps up. He looks. Over the middle. He's got it. Touchdown, Raiders! That's by Cliff Branch! The summer of Cliff. Cliff Branch. All summer long. JT the Brick. Prepare your phone call. I want Cliff content from you. Stabler play fake back to pass. Gets a big rush out. He'll cut the man. Stabler's throwing deep for Branch. He's got it at the 20. The 10. What separated Cliff was he was amazing, meticulous route runner. As we count down to Cliff, the summer of Cliff on the flagship. And now, here's JT the Brick. All right, let's get going. JT with you today on Raider Nation Radio, 9.20 a.m. on a big day today as we get ready to welcome in the veterans of the Silver and Black as we'll be out broadcasting live from the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center on Thursday as Raider Nation is excited now. Raider fans are ready to roll. Raider Nation is ready for training camp, and the rookies are already there. They're already ready to go, and now the veterans are saying goodbye to the families. And a really good point, a lot of the veterans live here, so they get the chance to sleep in their own bed, go home at night. That's a really cool feature that I miss Napa. God, do I miss Napa. But one of the features here that's pretty good is the fact that the guys live here. So Derek Carr can be a dad with his kids and a husband and be a quarterback and get there early and be home and with his family and all that. So that's pretty cool because when you build a facility that's arguably the nicest in football or the star in Dallas, everybody wants to come to work. You got everything from the food to the equipment to the weights to the fields to the indoor field, which the Raiders will need. Uh, the Raiders, when we know more about their schedule, you'll understand that the Raiders are going to have moments to practice outside in the heat uh, before it becomes extremely hot, and then they'll be able to move it inside on days when they can't be outside, and that indoor facility is amazing. Incredible, and Mark Davis made sure it was that good so the players would have an advantage. So we're all going to get a chance to see what's happening here, the new era of Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, how they're going to run practice, what they're going to do, what the media availability is going to be. Uh, there's a new regime here in town, and they're going to do it their way. And we back their way. Whatever they're doing, we're behind it here, and we hope it's the beginning of a great Raider season. Hope you're doing well. The MLB All-Star Game is tonight, a very important topic today. I'll get into that. Really cool experience last night. I'm going to save... Till the next hour as I was on radio during one of the slowest days of the year. Yes. I mean, it, it is. <laughs> Our job is not hard at all. But this is it where, you know, I'm a solo host. I'm one of the last of the Mohicans left that does a radio show with one microphone. And Bobby's mic's always open when he wants to jump in. But, you know, last night, I'm going to say it was hard, but. I feel like I was talking to myself, which doesn't happen much. I've been very lucky to be on big platforms with great support. But Reggie Jackson called in. That was cool because he's one of my heroes, and I'm going to play that next hour. It was a lot of fun for Reggie, and I'll tell the story behind that. And you got a lot of Bay Area fans listening and baseball fans. All-Star Game is tonight. Home Run Derby was last night, and I'll do a little bit of a recap with that as Roxy Bernstein will join us. Roxy was the voice of Home Run Derby on ESPN Radio. So he called all these home runs and did a really nice job. Roxy Bernstein, longtime Bay Area native and been a many Raider games, friend of mine, fellow Rush fan. And we'll talk to him about the atmosphere in Los Angeles last night at Home Run Derby. It looked a lot of fun. It looked like a lot of fun last night. Again, uh, a big topic broke last night on the show. Huge about tonight in the All-Star game, if the game is tied after nine innings, they're going to have home run derby. 
I find that despicable. And again, you know, I'm not a get-off-my-lawn guy. Don't ever tell that to me. I've had the summer of JT. I went to see the Stones in Europe. I'm the last guy you're going to say, hey, JT's in bed at 10 o'clock at night with a warm cup of cocoa. All right? I was out seeing Journey in the front row the other night. I don't remember what time I got home. So I'm not the get-off-the-lawn guy. I'm the opposite of that. And I'm not a baseball purist in the sense. But, man, they are taking your sports away again. It's really an important topic. I don't know if it'll work here. I don't talk Raiders when there's no Raider content. We have some content today because the season's right around the corner, and I'm going to talk Raiders every day with the best insiders in the entire Raider nation as we've locked them in again this year. But it's the All-Star game tonight, and I run a talk show, Sports Talk Radio, and we have that, and they're going to change the rules and have a home run derby in the 10th inning. What a bunch of crap that is. How do they pull this off? They didn't let us know, by the way, right? As we touched on, they didn't let us know. That had to be the AP had to break the story. Do you believe this commissioner, Rob Manford, changed the rules in the All Star game and didn't let us know? Didn't let us know like two weeks ago? Sit down with Bob Costas. Sit down on MLB Network. Hey, by the way, everybody, when we're going to be in LA for the All Star game, we got this really cool idea. We're going to have home run derby in the ninth inning. The greatest moments in the All-Star game, a lot of people say the greatest moment is Ted Williams uh, hitting a walk-off home run, Stan Musial, uh, Pete Rose running into Ray Fossey. Okay, he ran into Red Fo- uh, Ray Fossey, which was really a violent play, and Pete, Pete ran that hard. That's what Pete did. Period. Pete played that way. And if you were Pete Rose, you would have played that way in the All-Star game too. You would have if you were Pete Rose. If you're not Pete Rose, you wouldn't have played that way. So now they're going to put a home run derby in the 10th inning. How pathetic is that? So they're going to take the game, which is the only all-star game that mattered. The NFL destroyed the Pro Bowl. As I told the story, I was sitting there this year at the Pro Bowl at Allegiant Stadium. Great time. It's like phenomenal. Until the first play of the game, they ran the ball up the middle and no one tackled and they just stood up. Like stood up and like put their hands up and didn't even play. They didn't even do two hand touch. They just they didn't even they just surrounded like you were gonna hug someone but not hug them. That was that's what they did to the Pro Bowl. Then you have the hockey All Star Game, which is pathetic. What is it? Three on three now. Three on three in the skills competition. They took it out to the Bellagio Lake to do that to try to make it interesting. But the game sucks. And then the NBA All Star Game. It's a layup line until about five minutes left to go in the game, and then they play defense. So they destroyed all the all-star games except for baseball because baseball is the purest. It's the most difficult because the hitters are facing the greatest pitchers every inning, right? They're not seeing a guy in the fifth, sixth inning and going, hey, man, I saw him already twice. I'm going to hit him this time. All of a sudden, a closer pitches the second inning. A starter pitches the fifth inning. A closer pitches the sixth. So a lot of all-star games are very low scoring. So... If you tie the game, if the game's tied in the ninth, 3-3, wouldn't you rather see a double down the line and a play at the plate, safe at the plate? That ends the All-Star game. Now they're going to bring out three players from each team and do a home run derby. So what they've done, and let me tell you, because I really did a lot on this last night, and I'm all prepped up. What they've done is they've told you again, you, that you're stupid. They don't believe you have an attention span. They believe kids now don't even have a five-minute attention span on YouTube. They're cutting the videos down to like a minute 30. They don't think that you can sit through a ninth inning anymore in, in the sport world. So if you go to a baseball game, and if you're like me, living in Vegas, 
I don't have professional baseball. That's why I don't want the A's here at all. I'm anti-A's for what they did with the Raiders. Strong opinion. You won't find anybody in this town who has the knowledge that I do of what the A's did to the Raiders. And I've thrown out the disclaimer saying the Raiders weren't perfect. Raiders weren't perfect with everything there, nor did I ever say that. But the A's signing the 10-year lease behind the Raiders' back to take control of that, what ended up being a decrepit, falling-down coliseum, which they didn't put any money into, really started the process with the Raiders to Carson, the Raiders potentially to another venue, even the talk of Santa Clara, which never was going to happen. So I'm a baseball fan. I'm a diehard Yankee fan. And what they're doing now is they're telling me if my sons and I want to go to a game in Anaheim to see the Yankees, or we used to go to Seattle a lot, my wife and my two kids when they were young, six, seven, eight years old, they're telling me that I can't sit through nine innings. Like, I don't have the attention span to do it. And if I don't get to go to games much at all, I'm not looking at my watch when I go to a baseball game. I go to a Padre game. I'm not getting in there going, man, I hope this game ends in two hours. Why would I? I paid for a ticket. I busted my ass to get in the building. I want to have a cold beer, have some food, take some pictures with my sons, and they want to rush me out of the game? And that's what they're doing with the All-Star game. They believe that fans can no longer sit and imagine the 12th, the 13th inning, or anything like that. So they did it again. While you weren't looking, while you weren't paying attention, they took extra innings from the All-Star game with you. Now, due to COVID, they put the runner on second base in extra innings, and the double headers were only seven innings. Remember that crap? And so what they're doing in sports, uh, in basketball, the NBA, they're going to do a midseason tournament. Okay. A midseason tournament because they don't believe that you have the patience to be a sports fan anymore. They believe you're on your phone. You're looking at YouTube. You're not paying attention. And part of it's true. Part of it's true. So the younger generation, which I'm a part of, I have a son who's 21 and 19. I asked my sons last night on the radio, I go, what do you think of this rule? And my 19-year-old said, well, Dad, it's like no, none of my buddies watch the All-Star game anymore. I go, you did when you were 10 and 11. We watched it all the time. But now kids don't have the attention span to do anything for more than a few minutes. I don't know how they do their homework. My kids are in college now, man. I asked my wife, where are these grades? You know how much I'm paying two kids out of state? Show me the grades. Where are the report cards? I used to get report cards. I used to have to take my report card out of the mailbox because I knew when my dad saw the report card, all hell was going to break loose in elementary school. The other day I asked my wife, I go, you want a check from me for that amount of money? Let me see some grades. And they're pulling it up on their phone. And luckily the kids did pretty well. But sports is really getting lame. That's why I love football the most. You got people on sports radio that don't even go to football games. I was listening to this gambling guy the other day on a gambling channel that laughed and said, oh, I live in Vegas. I'd never go to a game. I like my man cave. Really? Okay, so that, that's but, – but he has no friends in his man cave, but he likes to be an introvert and sit in his man cave by himself and not go to Allegiant Stadium, go to the Torch and the Modelo Club and tailgate with the Black Hole. But he's on the radio telling people that he doesn't go to games. And we're seeing more and more of that. Guys on the radio, what team do they like? I mean, there's guys who do national radio shows that don't even have a team. They don't root for teams. They root for the business and the matchup. They want to see the best matchup to get the better ratings. So – I'm really upset about this all-star thing. And I know a lot of people saying, JT, stop. Who cares? 
I care. I'm a sports talk host. This is what I do for a living. If I don't care, turn me off. If I don't have an opinion and passion about it, and I hope you disagree with me often, but at least you know I have a strong opinion. So tonight, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, if it's 2-2 in the bottom of the ninth inning, we're going to get a home run derby in the 10th. And they're going to do that crap because they don't care what you think. They care about ending the game. I had a caller call me last night and said, well, this is about the players. The players don't want to play. They don't want to play 10, 11, 12 innings. They want to go home. They want to go to dinner. I'm like, really? I used to interview Pete Rose. I co-hosted the Pete Rose Show. I'm trying to get Pete on on this topic. It might take a few days. I mean, Pete would cut off his arm to win the All-Star game. The All-Star game was more important than anything because only one team wins the World Series. One team out of all these teams is going to win the World Series. It's kind of cool if you make the All-Star team and you win. You get more money and you get fame. You get fame if you win in the All-Star game. You might hit the game-winning All-Star base hit, but now Pete Alonso might come up and hit six home runs and seven at-bats, and that's how they're going to end the game. Does anybody have an opinion on this other than me? 702-365-9200. I know you're baseball fans. You're listening to the channel. You're baseball fans. This is another thing they took away from you in sports. Where do you rank this in what they've taken from you in the last 20 years? They took the Pro Bowl from you. They took the NHL All-Star game from you. We now, Bobby reminded me, have three wild card teams in baseball. Three. One wasn't good enough. Two. Now we have three wild card teams. We have a play-in tournament at the end of the season in the NBA. So the 10 seed that is, is 10 games under 500 can play in a tournament to see if they can win and go in the loser's bracket and come back into the playoffs. This all happened on your watch. It all happened, and if we don't have sports radio to clean it up, what do we have? Twitter? Twitter? That, that's it? So that's something I want to get into a little bit throughout the show, if you like that or not. Uh, 702-365-9200. And the bigger topic, it's not baseball. The bigger topic is bigger than that. The topic is when you're not paying attention and they're taking away elements of your favorite sport, what do you think your role is to stop it? And maybe you don't think you can stop it. Maybe you just think, hey, man, they don't, they're not asking me my opinion, so I'm going to go along with it. I, I'm just the opposite. I say you get on radio and you call into radio shows and you voice your opinion. Today was an interesting day with the Raiders and the media. First off, the great news that Mark Davis is introducing Cliff Branch into the NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame. Elaine Branch, Cliff's sister, the Raiders put this video out today, and I thought it was fabulous. I wanted to make sure you heard it. Of all of the things that I've had to do since Cliff had passed away, selecting the presenter has been by far the easiest thing. And the presenter that I selected is none other than Mark Davis. For me to be selected to introduce Cliff Branch into the Hall of Fame, is a lifelong honor for me and the journey that I took with Cliff Branch throughout our life together. Mark and Clifford were BFFs. And when Clifford passed away, Mark said to me, Elaine, nobody will have that position. Clifford will always be my BFF. We had so much fun. We accomplished so many things. And I watched him grow as a human being, as a football player, and as a friend. I'm glad that it's Mark Davis. I know Clifford would want it to be Mark Davis. And he loved Clifford. 
The honor to present my best friend, Cliff Branch, into the Hall of Fame means the world to me. That's a big deal. So that's a huge story with the Raiders as Mark Davis will be presenting Cliff into induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. No one has presented more people than Al Davis. So Mark gets this opportunity. Remember last year, Mrs. Davis, Carol Davis, inducted Tom Flores, which was a beautiful touch as I was sitting in the lower bowl with my wife and we looked up and saw that. Uh, That was breathtaking to watch. So this is going to be pretty cool as Mark's really getting ready for this. There's a big moment. And remember back in the day, the presenter would give a speech. Now it's a video. So a video will pop up and Mark will induct them and the Raiders will It'll be a home run. It'll be fantastic. So if you'd like to comment on that, I'd like your opinion on that as this is the summer of Cliff. And we're counting down to Cliff Branch. Eric Allen will join us tomorrow. Jerry Robinson, Fred Bolitnikoff, all confirmed to come up here. Uh, we got a couple of surprises coming up here before Canton. And if you're making your arrangements to go to Canton, let us know on that because we'd like to hear from you. And then... As I was up, uh, we had Good Morning America on today because I wanted to see this Carl Nassib piece by Michael Strahan. So Carl Nassib, the first openly gay player, when he came out last year for the Las Vegas Raiders, he went on Good Morning America today with Michael Strahan, the Hall of Famer. Here's that piece. At my house here in Westchester, Pennsylvania, I just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. Nassib becoming the first active player in the NFL to come out. I'm a pretty private person, so I hope you guys know that I'm really not doing this for attention. Um, I just think that representation and visibility are so important. So take me back to that moment. You filmed the video. You're about to hit send. And I like stared at the phone for like an hour, just looking at it and like trying to hype myself up. And the last thing I said was like, you know what, for the kids. And I like pressed post. He said it was something he agonized over. 15 years. That's how long you said you thought about this. Oh, for sure. It definitely was some difficult times and really struggling with who you are and trying to figure out that side of your life was definitely a tough part. But what made you decide or feel that that was the right moment to do it? I came out to my close friends and family like years ago, and I uh, wanted to do it publicly because I wanted to stay ahead of the narrative. I just wanted to own the story and make sure I did it on my terms. One of my biggest fears was that I would only be remembered for being gay. I just wanted to show that it really doesn't matter your sexual orientation. His announcement was met with a tidal wave of support on social media, too, from celebrities to fellow NFL players. But what about his own team? Now you have to go into a locker room full of men in the most macho sport in this country. Did that scare you at all? I really wasn't scared about that at all. I had a great relationship with my teammates, and I just was met with the most incredible support from my teammates. And what was the reaction from the NFL? They were so supportive. Uh, I'm just incredibly thankful for all the support they've given and they're continuing to do. It's a level of support that NASA would like everyone to be met with. I actually hope that like one day videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary. Um, But until then, you know, I'm going to do my best and do my part to cultivate a culture that's accepting, that's compassionate. So as a society, how do we get to that point? When people come out, they're coming out of the closet. And they're coming out of the closet because they're afraid. They have fear that they're going to have negative impact on their life, on their relationships, on their job. I just hope that one day we don't have those fears. That's the society I hope for one day. And I hope I can be a positive push in that direction. 
So nice job by Bobby getting all that sound today. So those are two pieces of fresh sound you probably haven't heard yet unless you were watching or at Raiders.com or Good Morning America. If you were watching that today on Carl Nassib, remember Raiders' new president, Sandra Douglas Morgan, was on Good Morning America last week. We had her on exclusively here, too. So there's just a lot of good PR, and there's a lot of conversation around your team, the Silver and Black. When it comes to Carl Nassib, he's a free agent. Raiders let him go, and he hasn't been picked up yet. So you could talk about the issues of him being a football player if he lands with the team, but I think he was on for two reasons. It's a really good feature on what he went through last year and what he's doing and the fact that he still has not have a job, right? So he hasn't been picked up, and it's camp time. It's go time where a guy like Carl Nassib should be on a team. By now, you would think he'd be competing for a job on a team somewhere in a backup role, if not a starter's role. So I saw that today, and we wanted to make sure we played that for you. 702-365-9200. Show started 21 minutes ago. I threw out the home run derby tonight in extra innings. I think it sucks. Mark Davis will induct Cliff Branch. That's big. Carl Nassib and what he said today on Good Morning America. And we're going to get into the SEC a little bit later on and the hypocrisy of these SEC coaches. You know, most of the NFL players now are coming out of the SEC. And now they're all sitting there at their press conference whining about name, image, and likeness. The rich getting richer. The rich getting richer, and they're having a pity party at SEC Media Days, pointing out and indirectly saying everybody's cheating. How are we going to win now if Texas A&M's buying players and Nick Saban's going to have more money than anybody else? It's another sport. College football now, if you're a season ticket holder to UNLV, don't ever believe you could win at the level of the SEC. It will never happen. So basically, college football now is about just the super conferences with a couple of the super teams that have the biggest budget that's going to pay for the best players and they're going to compete in the playoffs. And everybody out here should enjoy fighting for the cannon and playing Nevada. Everybody should kind of like look at a game on the schedule where you want to go watch UNLV because it's over. It's over. It's just about the SEC. That's why USC and UCLA went to the Big Ten. They want to play some better competition and an opportunity to play at that level. Uh, Notre Dame will be playing in Vegas. Tickets went on sale today for Raider PSL holders. That's a hot ticket. I went on there to buy a couple as a season ticket holder. I was like, whoa. Okay, Notre Dame's coming in big. BYU will buy your tickets, but if you want to go, you should go because it's going to. It's not often that Notre Dame plays football in Las Vegas, and they're playing at Allegiant Stadium. If you bought your tickets and you're going to go to the game, uh, let us know today, as that's uh, a nice bonus for season ticket holders as you get that opportunity. Uh, rookies have reported Raiders.com has a great feature on position breakdowns, and that's really where my head is at. Uh, going forward here, as we uh, they're looking at the linebackers today. Levi Edwards went through. It's a really good piece. And I, I've said this again. I don't spend a lot of time in July talking about position breakdowns. Because if you do, you got a problem. Like, I don't have to break down the position breakdown at defensive end. Got Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. So we don't have to talk about that. I don't have to talk about competition at quarterback with Derek Carr. Don't have to talk about it at wide receiver. Maybe the fifth wide receiver. But when you get to the Raiders' defense as they try to make up their 53-man roster, something's got to give, okay? Something's got to give here. Can Divine Diablo play more snaps than he did last year? 
Jayon Brown, Micah Kaiser, okay? Are these guys just a bunch of guys, or is one of the guys going to surface and play at a high level? The Raiders were very fortunate the last two years, thanks to Gus Bradley, uh, that they were able to bring in Denzel Perryman and Casey Hayward. I wish Casey Hayward was still here, but they had a change, and he ended up going on. We went with Gus. That's fine. That happens in sports. You have a good year, then you leave and you get more. But now it's going to be Trayvon Mullen. Can he play at a level of Casey Hayward? Well, why the hell not? They drafted him pretty high, and they're going to make a break with this guy. Is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be a shutdown starter? And as I pointed out, I think first, I'd make Nate Hobbs a starting cornerback. I would. I would do that, but I'm not a football coach. Nate Hobbs, everybody talks about Nate Hobbs' slot, slot, nickel, slot. Let him compete to be a starter against Rock Yassin. On the other side, let, let's see if Nate Hobbs can outplay Trayvon Mullen. And if he does, put him in there. And, and let the best positions fight for the job. And I think that's what Josh McDaniels is going to do. I would hope he would do that. So it's going to come down to defensive coordinator Patrick Graham, who's going to have a variety of looks from a 4-3 to a 3-4 to a 3-5. Whatever it's going to be, I think that a strength of the Raiders is their pass rush. That's a strength. A weakness for the Raiders is linebackers covering. That hasn't been a strength here for God knows how long. And then I think the Raiders are pretty good on the back end. I believe that Jonathan Abram, from who I've talked to in the building, is getting better and better. I believe that, but I'm not putting my name on it. i got to see this guy cover a pass in the back of the end zone first and intercept it or knock it down. I'm a big fan of Trayvon Merrig. I like him as a center fielder. Guy who plays deep, can read the pass, knock it down, and do that. And then Rocky Asin is supposed to be a shutdown corner with a high grade who can do a lot of different things in replacing Casey Hayward. I love the special teams. Got a great kicker, Pro Bowl punter, fine there, fine. I think the Raiders are going to be really strong on special teams coverage because you don't have to cover anymore. They kick the ball out of the end zone. And on the punt coverage, I think the Raiders are going to have some really athletic players that can get down there and cover. So I covered special teams, defensive edge rushers, quarterback, tight end, wide receivers, left tackle, middle linebacker, deep safety, and one of the corners. I can do these position battles. I just gave them to you. The, the ones I didn't mention are in position battles, which would be left guard, center, right guard, right tackle. Wow. That's a lot of position battles at one position, really one position group, the offensive line. Will the players get better? I'm assuming they will. I think another year for Leatherwood, another year for Andre James, I think they're going to be better at that position group this year. At least I hope so. And if they're not, we're going to be able to find out pretty quickly here because the Raiders are going to open up against the Chargers in Los Angeles, and Bosa is going to be coming off one edge, and Mack is going to be coming off the other edge. So we're going to know pretty quickly week one how that offensive line is playing. And I think Colt Miller's got to have an all-star game that first game. So Stoner Dude kicks us off as he came back from Costa Rica as I was following him on social media. How was your trip, bud? Man, JT, I, I lived in a hut in a rainforest jungle for two weeks uh, surrounded by monkeys and macaws and geckos and giant spiders. Swam with the dolphins, surfed waves in a little town called Pavonas. I even fed a sloth, JT. Man, it was a great time. I hope anybody gets a chance to go to Costa Rica. 
you definitely got to go. You know, but uh, I'm back. I'm back, and I'm ready for some football. You know, you talked a little bit earlier about Mark Davis and the friendship with uh, Cliff Branch. I can tell you as a lifelong Raider fan, I remember seeing Cliff Branch, of course, in the Super Bowls he played in. I'll never forget the two touchdowns in 1980 against the uh, Eagles. But that, that lifelong friendship between Mark Davis and Cliff Branch is so genuine. Any, anybody who's a Raider fan knows about it. And, and it's been a lifelong uh, bond between the two. So congratulations to Mark Davis. It's a bittersweet moment. But uh, we will share it with you for sure. You know, uh, a lot of people talking about stories of Cliff Branch. I remember Cliff Branch and many uh, signings in Oakland in the Bay Area. But one particular one, JT Raiderhead, my band was playing at Ricky's. And one night, of course, you know, all the great players used to go there all the time. Rod Martin, Fred Belitnikoff, even Kenny Stabler came in a time or two. But one particular night, Cliff Branch came in with Mark Davis. And he hung out with us after the gig took a picture with us. I sent you one, JT. Mm-hmm. The dude was always smiling, always a Raider. Man, really proud and happy that he's going into the Hall of Fame finally. A little too late, for, for obviously, for his family, but we're going to enjoy it anyways. It's the summer of Cliff, JT. I'm so glad that you're celebrating it every day. Make sure everybody call in and talk about the great Cliff Branch. Thanks, Stoner Dude. And uh, Raiderhead, nice to see them playing around town here in Vegas. Summer of Cliff continues as we'll have more Cliff Branch content and uh, look to hear stories like that. Just when you bumped into Cliff, when you went to a game where he scored a touchdown, maybe you went to a signing, maybe maybe you just want to talk about the way you watched him on TV. And, and he brought you so much joy. That's what we're doing with the Summer of Cliff. As we are brought to you by PTs, the best happy hour in town. Head on out to PTs to watch all your sports. Good night tonight to go to PTs for the All-Star Game, right? It's a good night to get happy hour from 5 to 7 during the All-Star Game. Best happy hour in town, always voted by Las Vegas Weekly. And they got everything you need. Everything you need there, and check out what they're doing at the driving range. PT's Taverns, from the bar to the driving range, they have you covered with this month's red, white claw, and blue giveaway. Enter for your chance to win white claw golf prize packages by scanning the QR code at your local tavern. Love that, and PT's Taverns is now hiring culinary team members so go to their website to see everything there or just give them a follow at PT's Taverns on Facebook. All right, I'm pretty open for the rest of this hour. If you want to get going, 702-365-9200. At the top of the hour, my Reggie Jackson segment from last night, which was really cool. Roxy Bernstein, who called Home Run Derby for ESPN Radio and friend of the show. And Ashley, great sports fan from Sam and Ash Injury Law. On a beautiful day today, Thursday, we're out at the Raiders team headquarters for a special broadcast here on the flagship of the Silver and Black. $1.9 million, I'm saying, bells and whistles, state of the art. Uh, it's time, it's needed. In order for us to continue to be successful with creating, you've got to have a state-of-the-art stadium. And uh, you have to give uh, the people in Vegas to want to get something done. Mark Davis never wanted to leave Oakland, you know, he, but he just couldn't get anything done. And we're still sharing a stadium with the Oakland A's, and, and the best place to build a stadium would be right there. So it's a 
tough situation. And I remember when Mark went to Vegas and, and presented this opportunity to see if they can get something done, he came back and said, holy sh they're going to give me the money to build a stadium. Can you believe it? And I said Al Davis would be smiling down because we never thought it could be possible, but Al Davis loved Vegas. So That's a classic soundbite from Cliff Branch. Mark Davis, when he decided to come to Vegas, Cliff was the ambassador. Knew everything that was happening in Oakland. Cliff loved Oakland, loved it. But he saw the opportunity in Vegas, and he got behind Mark and the opportunity to make it right. JT, back with you. Brought to you by the Remy Martin Sidecar, my wife's favorite cocktail. Whenever we're in a restaurant, at a bar, gamer at home, she loves it. Best part of this is you can make it real easy. Remy Martin, 1738. Cointreau and lemon juice, shaken, not stirred. It's the original recipe from 100 years ago and still holding strong. Take it from my wife. You won't be disappointed with this classic cocktail. Remy Martin sharing great moments. I want to get back to the home run derby last night and Seattle's J-Rod, his 32nd home run in the first round. What a coming out party for this young player who is 21 years old. Now, remember, this is a big debate topic. How long does it take for a kid to get to the major leagues? Well, Seattle has a superstar who put on a show last night. Five seconds to go with 31 32, and he will shut it down there. What a start to this derby. 32 shots for Julio Rodriguez and a standing ovation. Now, Julio Rodriguez is a hell of a player. He's playing up in Seattle, and he is fantastic. And the Mariners, who have won 14 in a row, that's the most wins ever in baseball history, dating to the All-Star game, coming into an All-Star game. So think of the greatest teams of all time. No one's had a 14-game winning streak. And Seattle plays the Astros 8 out of 12 games right back from the All-Star game. So they're hot. The Astros are really good. Uh, But last night's story was about Juan Soto of the Nationals, who turned down a $440 million contract of 15 years. And that was the really big talk before what was going to happen. So... He turns down 15 years of $440 million, and there's not a lot to talk about at the All-Star Game. So the media is in love with this story. Oh, my God. How could you give – this is what Trout got. The big mistake that Trout made is he signed the $400-plus million deal. Now, you might say, JT, come on, $400 million, How's that a mistake? Because Trout's legacy is over. Over. He's going to play in Anaheim. You don't even make, he's that 10 games out of the wild card. He doesn't compete anymore. It's like playing for the Sacramento Kings in basketball. Sign the contract, you're never going to win. We mentioned that with Damian Lillard. Sign the contract in Portland, get all the money, Dame, but you're never going to win. So Soto turned down $440 million over 15 years, and that was the topic. So what does he do? He goes into home run derby and wins it. He keeps going. He's down. Now, that's Roxy Bernstein who's going to join us here in about an hour. And Roxy's going to come on because he called Home Run Derby on ESPN. So that's really a big deal to me. So now the Yankees are in the hunt to get Juan Soto because the Yankees have the money. They can give him $500 million over 15 years. That's not a problem. But the Yankees uh, offered Aaron Judge a contract, who, and Judge turned it down because it wasn't enough. So I'm a Yankee fan. I think that the Yankees should go after Soto instead of Judge. They can do both. 
but they'd have to get rid of the contract to Stanton, Aroldis Chapman, the closer, Joey Gallo from Bishop Gorman, who can't make contact. I saw Joey Gallo playing high school here at Bishop Gorman. He's brilliant. He's been a really good player, all-star, gold glove winner. He goes to the Bronx, he can't touch the ball. If the Yankees were able to get out of four or five contracts, no one wants Stanton's contract, no one wants Gallo's contract, but when they're expiring, maybe they can afford both Soto and especially Judge. And they can afford both of them, but I think if you had to choose one over the other, I would choose Juan Soto. I think he's that great of a player. And he's got that lefty hitch in Yankee Stadium with the short porch. He'd be incredible. I mean, he, his mistakes, his pop-ups would go out. He would attack the second deck. And I said that about Bryce Harper, too. Any lefty that has Mickey Mantle-type comparisons, you want to get him in Yankee Stadium. Right-handed hitters, it's tough to hit right-handed home runs. Not for Judge and Stanton, but it's a tough ballpark for a righty. Very easy for lefties. So, home run derby was last night, and I think a lot of people liked it because of Rodriguez coming out of the gate and playing at a really high level and putting on that show. Pete Alonso got beat, and then it came down to two of the younger Latino players from the Dominicana putting on a show last night. So there is an influx of Latin superstars in baseball, which will remain, which is a great thing. And a lot of kids last night saw one of the best young players in all of baseball out of Seattle. Now the question becomes how long is he going to stay in Seattle? How long will Rodriguez stay in Seattle? Well, Seattle can pay him more to stay. But if I'm him, I don't sign the extension, and I wait, and I look around. But it's very tough to turn down three or $400 million. You know that this J-Rod kid in Seattle makes $700,000. Last night, he won 750000 coming in second in home run derby. I think that's a really big problem in baseball is that young kids in their 20s, 21, they don't get paid. And the league and the teams that are able to control their salaries for many years as they are not salary or arbitrational eligible, and they're fighting through arbitration to get a little bit of a rule. I think free agency should come right after your third year. If I could change it and if I were king, as soon as you play a major league game, the first at-bat, the clock starts and in three seasons, you become an unrestricted free agent. That would be fair, and it doesn't work that way. Because of the draft and the rules in the draft, these players are controlled. Their salaries are controlled for their first few years. And then the team has the ability to go to arbitration, and then the team could start negotiating, but they don't have to. Look at Aaron Judge. He's 30. He's going to be 31 next year, and he's getting his first big contract. Got to wait a long time to get paid. So that was a lot of fun last night. And then quickly, I wanted to get to the SEC media days. I thought this was a really big topic. Uh, when you look at what's happening now in college football, it's name, image, and likeness. So it's the Wild West as we speak today, where college football players can make as much money as they can. Now, reports are that Arch Manning, the grandson of Archie Manning, the son of Cooper, and the nephew of Eli and both Peyton, could be getting anywhere from 10 to $15 million coming out of high school to play for Texas. No one's going to tell us that number just yet. But it was interesting to see this press conference yesterday and what everybody was talking about. Commissioner Sankey over at the SEC yesterday talked about the SEC maybe adding a couple of more teams, but they don't seem to be in a rush. There's no sense of urgency in our league. No panic in reaction to others' decisions. We know who we are. 
We are confident in our collective strength, and we are uniquely positioned to continue to provide remarkable experiences, educationally and athletically, along with world-class support to student-athletes. So, again, the SEC is the strongest division. It's a pro division. It's like the NFL and the SEC. It's the SEC and everybody else. But then it got really interesting because Lane Kiffin, former head coach of the Raiders, raise your hand and beep your horn if you remember Lane Kiffin is the head coach of the Raiders. Now he's the head coach of Ole Miss, and he's been a really good college coach, an excellent play caller. And now he realizes that, He's dictated by the boosters in the program if they can get him enough money to get the best players. If you got boosters out there deciding who they're going to pay to come play and the coach isn't involved in it, how's that work? I mean, they could just go pick who they want and pay him however much, and then are they going to tell you the boosters are going to tell you who to play to? And then when they don't play, how's that going to work out? So, again, this was not thought out at all in my opinion, and has created a massive set of issues, um, which I think most, when people really thought about it, from a coach's standpoint, could have predicted this um, was going to happen. Lane Kiffin's in a tough spot. He was the head coach of USC, the head coach of the Raiders in the NFL. He's a damn good coach. When he took over the Raiders, he's a young kid. Young kid, the experience was too big for him, and he didn't do a good job. And he did make some mistakes. I had a front row seat for all that. But he's developed now. Another example of a coach that if he gets another opportunity, he's going to do well. But Kiffin doesn't want to be at Ole Miss. He'd like to be the head coach of Alabama, the head coach of Florida, the head coach of a bigger school than Ole Miss. But he understands now that he's got to get the payroll up, almost like a baseball team if he's going to win. Say what other people don't say, as you know. So... It's like a payroll, you know, in baseball. What teams win over a long period of time? Teams that have high payrolls and can pay players a lot. So um, we're in a situation not any different than that. Before we got one more Kiffin soundbite, before we go on, I like Marcus Arroyo. I like Bobby Houck. I've liked all these coaches here. I get a chance to meet them in public settings, and they've all been great to me. So, you know, this isn't an anti-UNLV show. But I don't talk a lot of UNLV football. Because if you're only going to win one or two games, it's tough to talk about it. The amount of days and hours wasted in this market at times on sports teams that don't even compete is incredible. There should be like a clock on how long you're allowed to talk about teams that don't win. But that's neither here nor there. UNLV has got to find a way to get money. And you would think they would get them from casinos, but that's tough to do because casinos are publicly traded companies and the stockholders don't want to give away any money to freaking high school and college football players. That, that's not what shareholders want. But there are a couple of individuals in this town who can write checks for a million or two million bucks. And maybe we're five years out from that where UNLV, which is a Division One school, can compete, but they're not ever going to compete at the level of the Big Ten and especially the Big 12. One more from Lane Kiffin. Now, as something I've been saying for a long time, college football is no longer amateur athletics. I'm sure other people said it. I said it day one. You legalize cheating, and so get ready for the people that have the most money to get the best players. And now you have it. So it is what it is. And as far as a general manager to manage that, we aren't allowed in the current system to manage what they make. So, um, so there isn't... We're not there yet, and I don't know that we ever will be. That's just what I said it should be because that's what any other, you know, professional sports, which is what we are now, 
does. Kiffin was bleeping brilliant. Kiffin, in front of the commissioner of the SEC, talked about legalized cheating. Who's got the balls to do that in front of the commissioner of the NFL or the commissioner of your conference? And he was ready to do that yesterday. I give Kiffin a lot of credit for what he said. He made a great point about the boosters. What happens if your booster is able to bring in a quarterback because he's able to get him $2 million for NIL and you're the coach and go, he's not good enough. I'm not playing him. And then the booster says, what? I just gave you $2 million for this quarterback. He better get his ass on the field. Then the coach goes, no, I got a better quarterback than one I recruited. I've been recruiting for four or five years. College football is out of control. And do you like it? Hey, my conversation with Reggie Jackson at the top of the hour. Ready to go. Vanizak in the backfield. Slot left, branch to the right. Stabler back. Looks, he goes to Branch, he makes a diving catch, and I think he's got the first down on a remarkable play at the 26-yard line. Madden down along the side, gesturing, first down, first down. Bill King, the legend on the call, JT, back with you in studio today. Raider Nation Radio, the summer eclipse continues. My partner on the pre- and post-game show, Eric Allen. Eric Allen will join us tomorrow. He wore Cliff's number. That's what, That was the inspiration for Eric Allen, so he'll tell that story tomorrow, and we're putting together a few more guests, and we're excited about that. Thursday, we're coming to you live from the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, the Raider facility, uh, as they're getting ready to welcome in the veterans, which will be a big media day here in town. Clayton Kershaw will start tonight in the MLB All-Star Game, and again, that's just another gimmick. He shouldn't start. He's not the best pitcher, but it's a made-for-TV All-Star game. That's why Albert Pauls made the team. He's not an All-Star. Clayton Kershaw, this is kind of a wave goodbye to Los Angeles in a beautiful role. And he's going to face Otani. Otani's going to lead off the game, which is going to make it great. And for Kershaw, this will be exciting for him. This will be one of the highlights of his career at Dodger Stadium. I'm just so excited I get to do it here at Dodger Stadium. I really didn't think anything of it at the time. I was like, well, yeah, it'd be fun to do it or whatever. But now that it's finally here and I get to start that game tomorrow night, it just, uh, it means a lot. And uh, it means a lot to my family. We're excited. Charlie's excited. My kiddos are excited. So we're going to, we're going to have a good time tomorrow and hopefully I don't screw it up too bad. Yeah, this will be good because he gets to go up against Otani who plays in Anaheim and to see those two te- two guys go after it. That's going to be fantastic. The lineups are powerful. And, you know, the lineups, even though these hitters are the best hitters that play the game, they don't have an advantage because the pitching's been better. Pitching's better overall, and that's really the key issue when it comes to baseball anymore, is that the batters, the batters have such a disadvantage when it comes to this, when it comes to team stats and batting averages overall. They're down, and it's, it's a, more than a trend. Hey, coming up next, Reggie Jackson called me last night. He's one of my heroes. I want to share part of that conversation with you. Ashley from Sam and Ash and Roxy Bernstein, sportscaster who called the Derby last night.